Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. One of the big stories of the week is the ongoing partial government shutdown. It's now the longest in the history. There was two bills that were voted on in the Senate. They both failed. There was a Republican-backed bill. There was a Democratic-backed bill. Both had different things. One had funding for the wall. The other one did not have funding for the wall, but would reopen the government. There was just not enough support there to get either of them passed. And again, the government shutdown just continues because of that. The only hope with getting votes on the record for this was that now that we know what won't pass, uh, maybe the two sides can come to a consensus on what will pass. We spoke to Shannon Vavra. She's a reporter for Axios about these two bills that didn't pass. President Trump fighting with Nancy Pelosi over the State of the Union. He has postponed that now. So let's check in with Shannon. We started off by talking about this fight between Trump and Pelosi. What's interesting about that is we're starting to see Trump's wall that he's put up here and his insistence on the border wall. We're starting to see it crumble a little bit just in that one moment with him saying, oh, yes, Nancy Pelosi does have that prerogative. And we're really seeing how far Pelosi is getting into his head, too, right? He's tweeting. He says, Nancy Pelosi, I call her Nancy, which isn't even a nickname, right? And so, (laughs) Yeah, I thought the exact same thing when that happened. It's just comical to laugh at. But you're right, though. It shows how much power Nancy Pelosi has in this fight, how much power the Democrats in the House have now that they've taken control there. And the president is realizing as this the shutdown continues to go on that there are consequences and that he does need to make a deal. So he did concede there. The whole reason for the shutdown is funding for the border wall, for the barrier. The president is singularly focused on this. And there's even some conservative allies and conservative activist groups that are stressed out by this. They're frustrated with this because They don't even see the border wall as the main thing that they need to do. Uh, This is a political thing. Uh, You know, all of the president's advisors and people working for his reelection campaign see this as the winner. He needs to get this done for the 2020 reelection campaign about the State of the Union and whether President Trump will be able to deliver it in the House chamber and, and who's going to introduce that resolution to authorize that, right? It's all posturing. It's, it's the same reason why we know, as Axios reported, Mitch McConnell and President Trump are talking about that negotiated deal that they presented on the Senate floor today for votes. We know that they were hoping to do that to sweeten the deal for Democrats and to try and make it look like in future election years, the Republicans would be able to say, well, the Democrats actually voted against extending DACA protections. They voted against renewing the Violence Against Women Act. And so it's all this posturing around this one idea of a $5.7 billion border wall. Let's talk about the two bills that the Senate voted on to try to reopen the government. One was sponsored by Democrats. One was sponsored by Republicans. On the Republican side, it had the funding for the border wall. That one didn't pass. The Democrat side had a clean funding bill, wasn't going to give money for the wall, but did expand some other border security protections that also didn't pass. Right. And what we're seeing from the specific vote counts there is actually really interesting to pull apart. So the Democratic plan had actually more yays and yes votes than the Trump and Mitch McConnell plan. And it also had more GOP defection. So it overall had more support. And that's an indication that President Trump and the White House are likely looking at now moving forward in terms of what kinds of proposals they can put forward if negotiations are seriously back on the table. And then 
on the flip side, we also see that with the six Republicans, we had Gardner, Murkowski, Collins, Romney, Alexander, and Isaacson all broke party line to vote for the Democrats. And we interestingly had Joe Manchin, who is a Democrat, vote for the Trump proposal. It's interesting how this is all playing out so publicly. Everybody's reporting on it furiously because just how long the shutdown has extended because of all of this. But a lot of people are very hopeful that even though the bills did not pass, at least everybody's on record now. They've all voted, so they know where everybody stands. And it could be the beginning of concessions from both sides on working on, on how to figure it out, where we can meet in the middle. Right, but that's exactly the thing is both Nancy Pelosi had a press conference in after the votes took place and she seems firm as ever. And then President Trump also spoke with reporters after the votes took place. And he's saying things like, oh, there are other alternatives we can turn to. We know he's talking now about accepting a continuing resolution if it has some sort of a down payment on the wall, which would indicate that there would be future down payments, right? And, and the question is, if there is a continuing resolution to reopen the government, what happens then after that temporary opening? Do we have another shutdown if there's no border wall funding? And there's just so many questions about whether President Trump will maintain his stance here that it's it's I'm almost anybody's best guess what happens in the next 24 hours. Going back to the politics of it, you know, the president made this such a central part of his campaign. We're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. And he's kind of pinned himself against the wall with this, ironically, right? It's obvious that Mexico is not going to pay for this. I know they say that's going to happen in some form with the new trade agreement that we have going, but that's not really borne out just yet. So he needs to get this done. He needs to have this go through for him to have any prospects of appeasing his base. Whether his base actually supports this, we know that his approval rating is starting to tank a little bit more than usual, in particular because Republicans aren't necessarily backing him in his fight for the wall anymore. They used to be impenetrable in their support for President Trump. This is one of the things that's actually started peeling some of his support away from him. So he's probably going to start feeling the burn of that in addition to the harms that federal workers are experiencing right now as a result of not having liquidity. Not to mention the fact that we've had Kevin Hassett from the White House concede that if the shutdown continues through quarter one, there will be zero growth. And we know that President Trump likes to tout economic stats. So that's something that President Trump is likely thinking about as well. Shannon Vavra, reporter for Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. One of the craziest stories that we covered this week is actually a callback to a story from 2016. Uh, it was the story of Michelle Hadley, Ian Diaz, her U.S. Marshal ex-boyfriend, and his new wife, Angela Diaz. Together, they framed Michelle in this Craigslist rape fantasy plot. It's a strange story. It has a bunch of twists and turns. It landed Michelle in jail for three months until she was exonerated. But the damage to her life had already been done. Michelle now is fighting back. She filed a lawsuit to reclaim her good name. This all stemmed from the relationship that Michelle had with Ian Diaz. They bought a property together. There was a dispute over it when they broke up. And it just things turned so sour as the story started. Allegedly, Michelle was sending the new wife, Angela Diaz, threatening emails, messages that said things like, you might be beautiful. You might be the one he married, but you're still a sinner and you must be punished. I will make sure you are reminded of your place by force. Uh, another one read, I know you're leaving work. I watch you as you walk. Let's play a game. So these alleged emails were being sent to the new wife of uh, Ian Diaz, and they were blaming it all on Michelle. They were using weird emails that kind of vaguely matched what her real email address resembled. Uh, so she got thrown in jail. It ruined her life. Uh, she filed a lawsuit in December 
uh, basically alleging that Ian Diaz went crazy and because their relationship went so bad, he just wanted to make her life a living hell uh, and that he was framing her for stalking the new wife. All of this could have been handled fairly simply if the police had traced the emails back accordingly. You know, each email is attached to an IP address and these emails were originating out of the house that Ian and Angela were living in. So part of her lawsuit also states that there was this blue wall of silence that because he was an ex-U.S. marshal that the cops were looking out for him. It's a crazy story. There's all sorts of twists and turns. We spoke to Jessica Tessa. She's a reporter at BuzzFeed News to break down this whole story. And we started at the beginning of Michelle's crazy ordeal when she got arrested for sending these alleged threatening emails. A good place to start Michelle's story is in the summer of 2016 when she arrived home late one night. She'd just gone on a date with like this brand new guy. She said it was a really great date. So she gets home and she sees a car parked outside her house. She pulls into her driveway and a bunch of men get out of this car and it turns out they're detectives. They're in an unmarked car and they're in plain clothes. They start asking her questions about her devices, her laptop, her tablet, and her phone. And they ask to see them and she gives them over and they take a look at her emails and they end up arresting her on the spot. And that night, she is accused of sending really threatening emails to her ex-boyfriend's new wife and setting up these elaborate schemes in which men on Craigslist would come to their house where this couple lived and try and rape the woman. Yeah, she went to jail that night, still in her dress from that date that you were talking about. She was freezing in jail cell. And it was a month earlier that threatening emails had begun going to the inbox of her ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend. Her name was Angela Diaz, her ex-fiance, I guess. His name was Ian Diaz. And there were just crazy text messages like, I hope you're scared to death tomorrow. Be prepared. Don't sleep. We will steal your child and watch it as it dies. You know, just all sorts of crazy messages. And as you said, a lot of these things were coming from emails and accounts associated with Michelle Hadley. She had no idea what was going on. They came from about a dozen different accounts, like Gmail accounts, Outlook accounts, Hotmail accounts. And many of them had variations of her name and the username. And they would be signed in various ways by Michelle Hadley. It would be like Michelle S. Hadley or MSH, her initials. But Michelle really didn't know exactly what was going on. But she could tell there was something weird happening because she was getting these emails emails from these servers telling her that her real email address, her primary Gmail address, was being used as the recovery account on some of these new strange accounts that she had never heard of. So she had a sense before she was arrested that there was something shady going on online, but she didn't exactly know what it was. Part of her allegations are that this is also a case where a bunch of cops were looking out for each other. Her ex-fiance, Ian Diaz, was an officer, and she alleges that the police department, the Anaheim Police Department in California, didn't really do their due diligence when investigating the crime. Some simple investigations could have uncovered exactly what was going on. According to her, this lawsuit that she recently filed, there was an arrest warrant that came through a few days before the first her first arrest. And that arrest warrant tied back some of the threatening emails to the IP address of the condo where her ex and his new wife lived. So 
theoretically, police could have known before the arrest that emails were coming from that condo's IP address and, and not from the IP address of Michelle's home or work or school. And that's where some of it gets kind of complicated and where the story really deepens. Michelle Hadley and Ian Diaz, they had a condo together. And when they were breaking up, they were trying to split it up, sell it, whatever they were trying to do. So that became a point of contention. And when they were separated, a lot of those emails and threatening messages were coming from there where Michelle wasn't anywhere near. If the cops had looked into that, maybe they could have put pieces together a little bit quicker. And Michelle alleges that this all comes back to the condo. This real estate dispute is the root of this sort of insane email impersonation Craigslist rape plot. The fact that he wanted to stay in the condo and he wanted her to be able to like relinquish all claim to the condo that they had once shared. And she told that much to the cops. You know, the very first night she was arrested, she told them like this is what's going on. This is our real estate dispute. This is why he would be doing this. She also, before her arrest, she had been calling the Anaheim Police Department, she says in her lawsuit, at least four times, trying to tell them what was going on, but no one would ever call her back. Michelle and Ian didn't have the best of relationships. They fought a lot. She alleges that he forced her to have sex with another man while he watched and recorded it. Some of this stuff gets really deep and shady. And she sent him a message one time, just really angry, going off the handle. And he reported it to police saying, she's sending me annoying emails, almost like harassing. And he kind of started a paper trail so that when police saw these messages, when the reported messages were going to Angela Diaz, the new girlfriend, there was already that paper trail. There was already that, already that precedent that Michelle was kind of crazy and she was a vindictive ex-lover and that that's why she was targeting her. Ian was kind of a step ahead of the game on that. The way that those emails were connected is the real email that she sent that you mentioned that was really heated and frankly a little crazy. Like that email had language like invoking God and the Bible and heavenly wrath and that kind of thing. So later when Michelle was being impersonated, whoever was impersonating her used that same voice. Although they were much more violent about the way that they were invoking God. As the way this story progresses, you know, we're talking about the condo that's in dispute. Michelle had started seeing the name of Angela on some of the papers. Then all of a sudden she was hit with a restraining order. So she had to go to court for that. And that's the first time that she met the new girlfriend and she threw a stack of papers on there. These were all the messages that she had been receiving. So she was kind of ambushed in court. She was stunned, never heard of this other woman. And now she's being struck with all these papers like this is what you're doing to me. This is how you're harassing me. One thing that's notable about about Michelle's relationship to Angela is that so so from the very beginning she only suspected her ex Ian of doing this to her of impersonating her of sending these emails she didn't really know that Angela was involved so she actually like kind of felt bad for Angela because she had felt like her and Ian were in this abusive, toxic relationship and she saw her as Ian's latest alleged victim. Part of the story was that some of these harassing messages and whatnot, there was a an ad placed on Craigslist where it said, hey, you know, I'm into rape fantasies. Catch me while I'm walking my dog and hold me down and rape me, all this stuff. So there came a report where Angela Diaz, the new girlfriend, had said something like somebody attacked me, things like that. They arrested Michelle a second time because of that. And she actually went to jail for about three months. A lot of the story revolves around 
Michelle getting her life back together and kind of going through that ordeal. She was in jail for three months and she was branded as one of the worst kind of inmates in there. So she did not have a very pleasant time in there. Michelle is definitely someone who considered herself like a very naive and innocent person. You know, she'd never had any trouble with the law. She came from this sort of strict conservative family who were very much supportive of law enforcement. So she was totally, totally out of her element. And she quickly had to learn some of the rules of prison lifestyle. And she was able to sort of ally herself, at least with her. She had this roommate who was much older than her from a much different background and who was sort of deaf and and hard of hearing. And so the deputies would mock this woman. And so Michelle started defending her and helping her avoid getting in trouble with these deputies. And, And that gave her some purpose. But for the most part, those three months were pure hell and agony. You know, she was deprived of medical necessities. And and toilet paper at one point she says she didn't have for a while. It wasn't until so so at three months go by and all of a sudden the cops want to interview her again for the first time since her arrest. And at that point it's a kind of a weird twist of fate where she ends up getting out because of the man she suspected to be behind the whole thing in the first place, her ex Ian Diaz. Apparently he went to the police and kind of blamed it all on the new girlfriend, Angela Diaz, and said she was the one that was doing this. Later on, they said that she faked checks and jobs and doctor's notes. She faked a cancer scare, like all sorts of stuff. But he attributed all this stuff to Angela Diaz. And then that's when Michelle was able to get out of jail. Ian and Angela's relationship had gone south by this point, as we understand it. And that's why he came to police. He said, this woman I married is a pathological liar and and laid out all of these sort of deceptive things that she had done. And that's when the police were like, "Okay, well, let's take a look and see if maybe Angela could have done this the the whole time. But what didn't happen, according to Michelle, and, and this is central to her lawsuit, is that the police at any point didn't consider Ian a suspect. They didn't investigate him. They only sort of listened to what he had to say as he pointed fingers first at her and then to this other woman. So in the end, she, uh, the new girlfriend, Angela Diaz, really took the fall of the whole thing. As we said, you know, this is a uh, Michelle alleges that Ian was behind all of this. And a lot of the evidence kind of points to that. It was in the condo where he was living. That was the huge dispute. She alleges all this kind of blue wall of police, you know, protecting their own and then protecting the reputation of the police department because they didn't really investigate it thoroughly enough. And in the end, she took the fall for the whole thing. Uh, nothing happened to Ian. And Angela, from Michelle's perspective, is definitely guilty, you know, definitely did something wrong here. She played into Ian's game. But yeah, that her main issue right now as she moves forward with this lawsuit is the fact that someone is out there who she believes set her up and he hasn't been held accountable at all for that. Where is Michelle now? Obviously, she's filed this lawsuit to try to restore her name and just kind of get closure on the whole thing. But where is she at now and how is she coping with all of this? She's doing a lot better now than she was a few years ago. She is living in New York City and uh, working in marketing for a beauty company. You know, she'd gotten her MBA after she'd gotten out of jail. She was able to, like, finish this degree program that she had started. In many ways, she has put her life back together. But there is this huge emotional trauma that she still feels. And I guess anyone would feel because it's something that you can't really get away from, especially in this day and age. Her Google results will follow her for the rest of her life. Well, she has her lawsuit now. We'll see what comes of that, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, I wish that she gets all the closure she needs. Uh, And yeah, it's just a cautionary tale to be careful who you meet and get involved with and and check those IP addresses, I guess. (laughs) That's right. Jessica Testa, national reporter for BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.